Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's reading is Psalm 77. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal, to years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God, the waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Amen. Thank you, Russ, and good morning to all of you, and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square's virtual worship service. Now this summer, we've been going through a sermon series on the book of Psalms, taking a look at various Psalms and learning how to pray uh, from them. Now today, we come to a passage in which the writer of the Psalm, Asaph, is experiencing the absence of God. Now I came across a quote in this book uh, that I read earlier this week, and the quote comes from an English writer named Julian Barnes, who begins one of his books uh, by saying this, I don't believe in God, but I miss Him. I don't believe in God, but I miss Him. Now, you know, if I'm honest with you, I find those words coming back to me over and over and over again, just ringing in my ears the last few days. As we are again struck by the shocking and tragic and unjust shooting and killing of Jacob Blake, and all of the unrest that act of violence unleashed upon Wisconsin and the rest of the nation, 
I can't help but borrow some of his words in praying, I believe you, God, but I miss you. And you know, as I look at the public discourse around the various issues our nation is divided on, you know, as much as I sense frustration, as much as I sense anger, I think underneath all of that, what I'm really sensing is a cry. As a society, we're crying out for justice, for compassion, for mercy, and for steady and unfailing love. You know, and that's the cry that we see in our passage today. But, you know, as I look at our passage today, what brings me hope is the fact that there's a movement of Asaph's heart. And we see hope there as his cry is transformed from a cry into praise. And so what I'd like for us to do this morning is to look at this passage and trace the movement of his heart under three headings. Because first we see the cry, and next we see the turn, and lastly we see the praise. The cry, the turn, and the praise. So let's take a look at these three things. But first, the cry. Now for this point, uh, let's take a look at the first uh, six uh, verses. Now here we see Asaph really crying out uh, to God. And as he does, we really get a vivid picture uh, of this cry, don't we? You see that opening phrase there? I cried to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. Now, a literal translation of that phrase uh, would say something like, My voice to God, I cry for help. My voice to God, I cry for help. Now, it's difficult to paint a picture of this phrase and that translation, but what we're seeing here is that Asaph's prayer is so intense that it's coming out in these uh, guttural cries. We see that he's almost grunting because he is so, so distressed. And we see later on that his uh, hands are stretched out, right? his arms are stretched out all through the night, right? refusing to be comforted by the sweetness of slumber. All through the night he's crying out to God. And he's searching. He's searching out for God. But what does he get? He gets nothing. And notice... He's doing everything a good, pious, and religious person should do. We see that he is praying. We see that he's trying to remember God. We see that he is meditating. We see that he's even singing spiritual songs in the night to see if that would help him go to sleep. But all he gets, instead of getting God's presence or relief from the distress that he's experiencing, all he gets is groaning. We see that his spirit grows faint. We see that the anguish for him is so bad that he can't even speak. What we're getting here is a picture of a spiritual person doing everything that's prescribed for a spiritual person to experience the presence of God. But instead of getting the thing that he is looking for, all he's getting is this cavernous void of his absence. That's all he is getting. He's crying out into the void. Now, I talk about God with my son Alan quite a bit. And one of the things that he often tells me is, you know, 
that I love God and I do believe in Him, but a lot of times it's hard to love someone you can't see. And you know how I often respond is, you know, I want to be a good pastor and I want to be a good Christian dad. And, you know, I tell him, uh, you know, God is everywhere. You know, he's, you can see his handiwork in the beautiful trees outside and you can see it in the beautiful sky up there. And when daddy loves you, you know, it's out of the love that I've been given by the God who is love. And I try to come up with these responses and my son, he just kind of looks at me and goes, okay. And, you know, I realize that even as I'm saying those words, I'm not even sure if I'm convinced by what I'm saying to him. And I have to admit, so much of my struggle, and I'm willing to bet it's many of your struggle as well, is to believe and revolve my life around a God whose presence I most of the times don't get to experience. And so much of a Christian's life, I'm willing to bet, revolves around trying to mask and work around the uncomfortable truth that many times in our lives, God just seems absent. So whether it's working up our emotions or engaging the intellect, what we try to do is bring ourselves to a place where we are convinced emotionally or intellectually that God exists. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we are quite satisfied with that, aren't we? That the the conviction of his existence, so much so that we've learned to be content in living without his presence. It's as if we are so insecure that if we were to admit this reality that we don't experience God's presence a lot of times, that we would just walk away from the faith altogether. And so we convince, convince, convince ourselves that God exists. But you know, what we see here in this passage is that the Bible has no such insecurities. We see in the case of the psalm that this doubt over God's presence is articulated and expressed, raw and uncut, with all of its frustrations and anguish it brings. And what that tells us is that this experience of God's absence is not to be done away with, but it needs to be expressed and articulated and dealt with. This is indeed part of the Christian experience. To grapple with the seeming absence of God. And without that, you will never come to a place of authentic Christian experience. What do I mean by that? You know, a lot of American evangelicals love talking about how Christianity is not a religion, but rather a relationship with God, right? You know, I've heard that many times over the years. And as a pastor, I've said that to many people myself. But, you know, speaking just in full honesty, how many of us can actually say that a relationship A personal relationship is what describes the state of our spiritual life before God. Not many of us, I bet. And so perhaps what's missing in our lives is this cry. And maybe what we need to do is instead of suppressing them, and instead of pretending like it's not there, maybe we need to start expressing them. Expressing our doubts to God in our cries, and in our prayer. And this is where we must begin 
if you want to have an authentic relationship with the God of the universe. So that's the first thing we see. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. But what we also see here is that Asaph doesn't just uh, let out a cry, but that there's a turn in his cry. So let's take a look at the second point. Now the turn happens at the end of verse 6, right? because what we see here uh, in the midst of his cry, he says, my heart meditated and my spirit asked. My heart meditated and my spirit asked. Now a better translation of that second phrase there would be to say my spirit made a diligent search. My spirit made a diligent search, right? It's to examine, right? Fold by fold, leaving no stone unturned. It's almost like an investigator who's on a case uh, 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 and he comes to a scene and he's looking for clues and he's looking for answers, right? Diligently. And then comes the list of questions that Asaph asks. Now, here's what's interesting about these questions uh, that he asks. Right? Notice in the first six verses, what's the word that is most often used? It's the word I. Right? It says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. Right? I was in distress. I stretched out my hands. Right? I remembered you. I meditated. Right? I, I, I over and over again. But notice, in these questions that are to come, there's a complete shift in focus. It's all about God now, right? He says, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion, right? It's completely changed. What's, what is he doing? What he's doing is he's engaging God in God's own terms, and instead of navel-gazing and closing himself off, right, he's asking these questions in a way that is inviting a response. Now, I'm no detective or a, a private investigator, but I do know that in an investigation, you want to do your best to remain open to as many possibilities as possible as a solution to uh, the crime that you're investigating. Right, the last thing that you want to do is come into a case with preconceived ideas about what happened and lead an investigation towards your desired outcome. Right, you don't want to be biased in that way. And so here's what we learned. We all have doubts. And what you don't want to do is you know, have them lie around, diffused and, and darkening like a fog over your dissatisfactions. You don't want to do that. They should be expressed. You should ask questions, right? And this passage is inviting us to do so. Asaph is doing that. But here's what's important to remember as we ask our questions. 
to remember that not all questions are considered equal. They're not all created equal. And we see this to be true not just in our kind of spiritual discussions, but in our public discourse as well, right? There are questions that are born out of humble searching. There are questions that are born out of prideful cynicism. There are questions that can be answered, but there are questions that can't be answered because you've already made up your mind about what the answer should be. Right? There are these questions that heal, but there are also questions that kill. And so let me ask you in, well, first and foremost, let me ask, are you even willing to ask these questions? Or are you satisfied in your dissatisfactions? But for those of you that are willing, what kind of answer are you seeking? Whether you're skeptical of Christianity or you consider yourself to be a pretty religious person, are you willing to let go of your preconceived notions of God and let Him surprise you with His answers? Because it's by working through these questions that we come to a place of belief, of a God who is not just a concept, but a personal being. But those questions need to be asked, honestly, open to the answers that God may give. Writer Jamie Smith once said about our generation, doubting we believe, believing we doubt. Doubting we believe, believing we doubt. And it's such a great articulation of what's going on in our generation. Man, such a great expression of what happens in my own heart. And friends, as we vacillate between these two spaces of doubt and belief, the way in which we'll experience growth is through these honest, searching questions. And that's what Asaph is doing here, asking these questions of God. But as he does, there's a turn that happens. The focus is off of himself and now onto God. And he finds himself earnestly desiring to see God for who he is instead of what he needs. And as he does, he's opened up a window into greater possibilities for growth, for an experience of God far greater than he'd imagined. And he is now led to a place of praise. So let's take a look at this last point together. Now these next 10 verses that we see from verse uh, 10 uh, to 20 are a pretty remarkable turnaround given how he started uh, the psalm, right? Because in verse 10, he says, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the ears when the Most High stretched out his right hand. Right? He's choosing to set his sights on what God had done. And you know, especially as we get to verse 16, here's what's interesting. It's pretty clear at this point that Asaph is thinking about the Exodus event, right? Where God delivered his people uh, out of Egypt, right? With the water imagery, with uh, God leading his people out. It's pretty uh, clear that that's what Asaph is talking about. But here we see two uh, interesting things. The first thing that we see is we see Asaph describing God's transcendence. Right. Notice the language here, right? The waters writhed, the depths 
were convulsed, right? The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. And I love this imagery that Asaph uses as he talks about lightning, right? Your arrows flashed uh, back and forth. Thunder heard in the whirlwind. Lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked, right? It's really a spectacular show of a transcendent power as God led his people out of Egypt. Now, what does that show us? What did it show Asaph? That God's transcendent power showed that neither death nor life, as Paul says in Romans 8, that neither death nor demon, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Right? That's what Asaph saw as he turned to God. Friends, do you realize that when all you see is water all around you, and you're tired from trying to keep your head above water, and when it feels like you're drowning in distress and devastation, and you feel like God is nowhere to be found, do you realize that His transcendent power is at work in your life at that very moment? Even if you can't see it. Now, you know, uh, one, of the most, uh, one of the most humiliating moments of my life came when I failed my ordination exam uh, to be a pastor. Now, at this point, I'd gone through multiple rounds of writing papers and interviews and written examinations, and I'd come to the final round here of this oral examination before a, a huge crowd, really, of fellow pastors and elders uh, in the churches uh, throughout the New York metro area. And, you know, I was pretty well prepared for the exam. You know, I had passed all of the other uh, written exams and interviews and those kinds of things. But for some reason that day, I was completely frozen. Right? I couldn't answer these simple questions uh, that were asked of me. And I was, just, I was just up there just completely frozen. And I'd failed. And I was utterly humiliated. I was angry. I was frustrated. And I was just so, so downcast for many days afterwards. And I remember thinking, how could this happen to me? But you know, I have to tell you that failing that exam was probably one of the best things that could have ever happened to me in my preparation uh, to be uh, the kind of pastor that I believe God wants me to be. Because that incident pushed me to go back to my studies not to pass an exam that human beings put together, but to enjoy and to recommit my life to this vocation of being a minister of the gospel. And I can't tell you a season in my life in which my studies were more fruitful, were more invigorating, and were more life-giving and affirming of the thing that God had called me to do. And it was such a sweet season because of that. Now, there's no way that I could have foreseen such development in the time when I was just (laughs) drowning in my sorrows in my bed. But see, you and I, we are so limited in our scope 
of our understanding of our world and our circumstances. We have no idea what God is up to behind the scenes as he is working out all things for our good and for his glory. We just don't see it. And so at this point, let me encourage you. Let me steal uh, some of the Apostle Paul's words in Ephesians and tell you, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you may know the incomparably great power that is not against you at any point, at any point in your life, but is for you. The incomparably great power that is for you. Though you may not see the footprints as we are told in verse 19, if you have the eyes to see it, you can see his power that is at work for you. So that's the first thing that we see. We see the transcendence of God. But the second thing that we see is God's imminence, right? Because if it was God's transcendence that brought the people out of Egypt, then it is God's imminence that brought the people through the desert, right? You see here in uh, verse 20 where it says, You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God here is described as a shepherd, Uh, leading his people out like sheep. Now, the one thing that we know about sheep is that sheep can't get into autopilot mode, right? You can't just click set a destination and the flock, they're, you know, good to go. They'll go by themselves. No, they need constant guidance, right? When one strays off, you got to bring them back to the fold. When another one refuses to move for whatever reason his sheep brain uh, constructed, whatever reason, if they're not moving, you got to prod them along. And see, what Asaph sees now is that the same God who worked through the flashes of lightning and peals of thunder Right, the God who pushed back the mighty waters with his mighty and transcendent power is the same God who is at the present time active in your life, bringing you through the darkness and the valleys to bring you to pasture. He is near to you. Now, what does that mean? <clears throat> that means you as sheep, all you need to do is look to the shepherd, right? When your attention is split more ways than you can count and you don't know who to trust and you don't know who to listen to and you don't know where to turn, all you need to do is look to the shepherd. See, for so many of us, we're staring into our phones and we are asking God, where are you? We're staring into our newspapers asking God, where are you? We're staring into our circumstances and asking God, where are you? When all that is required of us is not to fix our problems, is not to get out of our distress and devastation by our own. When all that is required of us is to look to the shepherd. And if you have eyes to see this, you will see that he is far more imminent and nearer than you might imagine. He will guide you by the hand and he will act on your behalf with his mighty arm. And friends, we can be assured of this because those mighty arms we see in the person of Jesus Christ was stretched out 
And we see that those tender hands were spread out and had nails driven through them to the cross. See, it is on the cross where God's transcendence and his eminence come together. And it is on the cross where God's absence and his presence meet. A theologian, Henry Nouwen, has this to say about God's absence. Now, it's a pretty lengthy quote, but it's a beautiful one. And so let me read it for you. He says, God is beyond, beyond our heart and mind, beyond our feelings and thoughts and expectations and desires and all the events and experiences that make up our life. Still, God is in the center of all of it. Here we touch the heart of prayer. Since here it becomes manifest that in prayer the distinction between God's presence and God's absence no longer really distinguishes. In prayer, God's presence is never separated from God's absence and God's absence is never separated from God's presence. God's presence is so much beyond human experience of being together that it quite easily is perceived as absence. God's absence, on the other hand, is often so deeply felt that it leads to a new sense of God's presence. And he goes on to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus spoke these words on the cross, total aloneness and full acceptance touched each other. In that moment of complete emptiness, all was fulfilled. In that hour of darkness, new light was seen. While death was witnessed, life was affirmed. Where God's absence was most loudly expressed, God's presence was most profoundly revealed. When God, through the humanity of Jesus, freely chose to share our own most painful experience of divine absence, God, listen to this, God became most present to us. It is into this mystery that we enter when we pray. Friends, are you now experiencing the absence of God? And you're asking like my son did, how can you love a God you can't see? Now the beautiful mystery is, at the moment of his absence, his presence can be deeply felt. And it is because Jesus Christ on the cross experienced God's utter absence that you can now be brought into his most glorious and mighty and tender and loving presence. And so having said that, would you experience the glorious presence of God during the season of his absence? Now let's enter into this mystery together. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that you give us this word that tells us that it's okay that many times in our life it seems like you are absent. That it is a natural part of what it means to live a life before you. And so God, in seasons in which we feel like you are absent, in seasons of Uh, distress and devastation. Help us to be honest in expressing our cries before you. And help us to be honest in the questions that we ask of you. 
And we ask that you, re- you would reveal yourself to us in both in your transcendence and in your imminence. And as we come before you, even in seasons of absence, would you make your presence felt to us? And we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit and the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, let it be so. And it's in Jesus' most holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.